In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. to In Discussion. My guests today are Elena Shaw, founder of Turning the Wheel, and Elizabeth Yokin. Turning the Wheel activates whole mind, body, and spirit consciousness through authentic self-expression. A movement of thousands across the United States of people touched by the numerous classes, workshops, and large-scale community performances produced over the last 20 years. Turning the Wheel dances on the frontier of contemporary culture, integrating both cutting-edge research and age-old wisdom with a blueprint for what creates meaningful connection for human beings and lasting transformation for individuals and community. Turning the Wheel accomplishes these major miracles in large part because of the talent and inspiration of its founder and executive artistic director, Elena Shaw. An inspiring and empowering facilitator, she has over 30 years' experience teaching in 25 cities in the U.S. and Canada. She holds an MFA in dance from the University of Colorado with a thesis on healing and reintegration through creative expression, and is the author of Dancing Our Way Home, a 342-page manual of exercises, stories, and wisdom. She's joined by Elizabeth Yokin now with over six years of service to Turning the Wheel, bringing compassion and artistic expression to the organization with a devotion to its vision in the creation of community and self-expression for people of all ages, cultures and heritage, a blueprint for what creates meaningful connection for human beings and lasting transformation for individuals and community. Welcome to In Discussion today. I am very pleased to present my guests, Elena Shaw and Elizabeth Yokin of Turning the Wheel. Ladies, welcome to you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you so much for coming all the way to Boiling Phoenix. Is it boiling or is it cool to you? It's, um, it's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I must have got used to it. It's a real privilege to have you here today, and especially as you come all this way to talk about turning the wheel. Elena, I know that you have been working with turning the wheel for some 20 years, and Elizabeth, you joined turning the wheel how long ago? About six years ago. Six years ago. So you're all very established in this. Can I start with you, Elena? Can you give me a very brief, for our listeners, review or definition of what turning the wheel is all about? Yes, I think that's um, always the challenge, the brief review. But basically what we're about is bringing loving, unconditional containers where youth can show up as themselves, express themselves, be themselves, and 
find their gifts, their unique gifts that they have to bring to the earth. And that includes building communities around them that show up in the same way. So we're always trying to fold in the story of all the adults and elders and mainstream with all of the youth that are found in the juvie centers, the drug rehab centers, the last chance high schools who are vulnerable and open and ready to take that step into what they have to give, the impact they can have on their community. And I'm going to come back to that in more detail later. And Elizabeth, be patient with me. Mm. Elena, I'd like to start with you. And as I've explained to you, and my listeners know this very well now, I always go back to my guests earlier days so that they can get a good visibility of where you've come from and why you're here doing this now. Just tell me a bit about your childhood, looking back now and possibly why you are at this point in your life now doing what you are doing. Is there anything that sparks any memories? Well, I think for me, there, I was the unseen child in the family, and you know, the invisibility partly came from what interested me, what I loved, what my heart was calling for, and partly came from the numbers of children, the poverty, the my father's um, dysfunction and violence, and... I grew up wanting not only to be seen, but to be sure that those around me were seen, particularly um, the young people on the earth that are invisible. And I think we have whole sectors of our culture that are invisible that we don't see at all. So that's what's what, over the years, I gravitated towards from that childhood of invisibility to creating visibility every place I could where it wasn't happening. Turning the wheel is very much about dance and movement and choreography in a way. Looking back to your childhood again, is that something that was born into you, that, that you brought with you all your life to get to the point where turning the wheel manifested itself? That's such a fun question because I was remembering last night that I used to sneak into the basement of the Methodist church that was at the end of our rural property and take ballet and tap classes. Um, and you had to pay, and I keep tell kept telling him my mom would be along soon to pay, and ultimately when my mom didn't show up, I didn't get to take those tap and ballet classes anymore. But it was, um, it was definitely a longing from a very young age. I was trained in classical piano. My piano lessons were a dollar a week, and I remember tremendous conflict in the family over spending that much money for something as insignificant and un- usable as piano lessons. So from the very beginning, I was reaching for those uh, artistic opportunities. In third, third grade, I remembered producing the whole neighborhood in Hansel and Gretel with a record that played the story of Hansel and Gretel and having all these people costumed and acting out Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Do you think looking back, the world has changed enormously over the last 30 years? Looking back, though, could you imagine having something like turning the wheel when you were a child? If it had been there for me, you mean? Oh my goodness. I mean, even just part of, part of turning, I just made the connection actually that we never turn any way away from turning the wheel because of money. Everybody's always can do anything we're doing, whether, whether they can afford to pay for it or not. And I just realized that probably lands in those ballet and tap classes <laughs> where I had to stop because nobody showed up with money. And, um, yeah, I think, 
I actually had those turning the wheel people in my life, people who reached into the story I was in and lifted me out, who saw me and who said, come on, we have another possibility for you. And I want to be that kind of person for youth all over the world. I want to lift them out. We're clearly going to be filming in the future so that people have, listeners have a great visualization of what you do. Can you express in words, though, before that occurs, what somebody can expect themselves if they walk into a building where, where you have turning the wheel, moving and dancing, and people becoming more conscious and working together? Can you define that, describe that for them? Well, I think the most important piece of the description is that there's no, nobody has to do anything they don't want to do. And there's lots of, there's live music and lots of people playing movement games. And we sometimes avoid the word dance because people think of it as something that's going to be put on their bodies. And our way of working with movement is that you make your own movements, your own gestures come from your own body the moment you're in, in a playful, fun, accepting environment where you can come in and out as you feel comfortable, participate to the level that fits for you, and you're likely to find people as old as 95 and people in wheelchairs and people who have different kinds of mental challenges and young people and families and mixtures of people there that are playing together. I want to return back, if I may, to your childhood again and later years, because in your biography you talk about Summerhill, and you're clearly very interested, invested, passionate about education. Tell me about Summerhill and also how it was so important that the way your first son Matthew presented this to you, either consciously or subconsciously. That's a beautiful way to look at it. I think he truly did present it to me. Having come from an environment where I didn't have any information on how you might raise a healthy child, it was um, kind of a gift that it was completely all useless, as opposed to you know a midground where some things were good and some things were bad. I didn't have any idea what to do with this young, beautiful being, and I was only 18 myself, and turned to books and guide for guidance, and one of them was Summer Hill. And they talked about an environment where everybody could express themselves freely and show up just as they were and, and, um, play and be happy. And that, and that, and that environment was an environment of yes. And so that day I remember reading that book so vividly and how it felt in my body and knowing right then and there that I was going to create an environment of yes for my children and for everybody who was in my environment, my life, the rest of my life, including my wounded family, that I was going to find my yes for them somewhere as I moved along through. I saw it opening up in front of me. It's a very powerful moment. The vision statement. I want to take a couple of extracts out of your vision statement. The one that I highlighted that I liked the most, a vision of healing where art circles back into the chaos and variety of life where the act of creating is an integral part of all of our lives. The big words that come to my mind here are the art circles and the chaos. The circles interest me. I had the great honor of interviewing um, Marianne uh, Fay a lady who had actually uh, converted to the Islamic faith, very well known and an incredible lady, and she talked about her childhood and how 
in her uh, formative years, they would, she could remember the greatest memory of being in circles, wherever they were at the end of the day or at the weekend, or if they went to church, it was always culminate in somebody forming a circle. What is the importance of that in the methodology of turning the wheel? Well, we always begin in a circle holding hands. And I think that's so significant in terms of where we'd like to end every moment of every day, holding hands, beginning and ending and middling with holding hands in a circle. And the circle is an egalitarian structure where everybody is on the same footing. So there's not somebody in front of you, behind you, somebody guiding you from a hierarchical place, but it's a place where the playing field can level and we can all begin together as human beings standing together in the circle, seeing each other and being there energetically with each other. If I was completely ignorant to turning the wheel and I looked at it, would I say, or if I walked in there, would I say, well, everybody seems to be doing their own thing. There seems to be a lot of movement. Sometimes there is direction. Sometimes there's not direction. What is the key to that that is firing people's hearts? How do they react to that, to being able to just be themselves, do what they want? How is that freedom manifested? How do you make sure that they come in and they get value from that? They find themselves, they find everybody else in the room, especially for children. How does that work? Well, it works different every time. It's such a, that's what's so exciting about the work is every circle is a brand new circle and a brand new moment in time. And I get to play and all the facilitators who work with me, including Elizabeth and all the others from around the country, we get to play with what wants to happen now, right here in this moment and how much is needed how much structure is needed, how much freedom is needed, how how is this group responding to what's going on. It has so much to do with moving right in and heading right into the to the games and the story and the play. And I think it is a lot to do with the actual structures that we've developed, the models we've developed over the last 21 years. They really work, you know, for all kinds of populations. They work. Because you, t- you talk about, you use the word intergenerational. Mm-hmm. So clearly just so our listeners are aware of this, you're getting people from all ages. Yes. There's no, no, nobody's barred from this. Anybody can come. Anybody can become involved. Any ability, any challenge, any age, there's always a way for them to be a part of what's happening. Are there, over the last 20 years, and I'll take this question to Elizabeth as well, specific memories, perhaps, where you've seen people come in who are either elderly or very young, and being reluctant or shy about the proceedings and then completely come out of themselves. Have you been in a situation where you've seen somebody completely transformed? So many times that it's just hard to imagine how many really truly thousands of times over the last 20 years that's happened where people come in not sure who they are, what they've gotten themselves into, what's going to happen to them. And what's so exciting to me about that is what, 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 it, what we're bringing is what people want. And so very quickly, the opportunity to play and connect and have fun with others is not anything to worry about. You know, it's like nobody's the shyness 
drops away, the sense of, will I be okay? Will I do it right? Am I enough? Which is the huge question in our culture. Am I enough? Drops away, and it just becomes a time of play. We had one elderly lady, Claire, who, who recently passed in Cedar Rapids, who's um, she was in her 90s when this, when she was in one of our big full produced performances and fell asleep on the stage in the chair that she was sitting in, <laughs> tired and had been a long week of rehearsals and right on stage. And one of our young boys who was from the drug rehab center was watching her all the time, had fallen very in love with her and noticed what had happened and just quietly moved onto the stage and and woke her up and walked her off the stage in the transition where she needed, where it was appropriate so that she wouldn't just be sitting on the stage sleeping and took it all on his own responsibility. And he was an example of a young man who had come from really not thinking he mattered at all to finding out that he could make a huge difference in his community and that he was had great value to add. Elizabeth, you have been with Turning the Wheel for six years. What was it that precipitated that day when you walked into this building and met Elena? What, what was it that you immediately felt about it? Well, I think it was um, summer camp, Calwood in the Rocky Mountains. And um, for me, I felt, I felt home. I felt home in my body in a way that I hadn't been since childhood. I felt that my creativity my emotions, my psychological ground was beneath me in a way that I just hadn't experienced it since, I think, childhood, really. And I was kept coming home to myself more and more over that week arc in terms of all the, the art making that we did, all the moving and dancing to live music that we did, all the connecting with ourselves and connecting with each other um, that we did. I felt a profound sense of also arriving, arriving back in my body. This is talking to me a lot about uh, evolving consciousness. Turning the Wheel is one of many great projects, organizations, groups of people that, as we talked about last night, in community will make the difference and transform our world from one of do-consume chaos that it's currently in. How do you plan to bring turning the wheel into larger organizations, larger projects? How can you integrate with them? How will you do that in the future? Um, I think it's through collaborations and partnerships that are aligned with sort of norms that we have for our organization. Um, and perhaps people that, that aren't so aligned, but that bring a piece of the puzzle of sort of linking up body, mind, spirit, wholeness, um, to restore and rejuvenate self and other in community. Um, that's one way. And Maybe. so would you be able to integrate uh, people from business, chairmen of companies, CEOs, executives, uh, in this, uh, probably living in this frenzy world of do-consume and, and uh, working around the clock and present a way to them to be able to release all of that tension, all of these worldly pressures 
and to be able to come in and be transformed by what you do. I think that not only do we want to do more of that, but we've had the experience of seeing that happen over and over again, where the, there's almost an uh, uh, an awe in for me in watching how quickly people will move back into joy, back into their bodies, back into possibility of connection with each other, how much they want that on the deepest sort of essence level. And if you just open up the container where it's okay to just show up however you are and be present and play, people just come right in. It's like sometimes people say, that must be really hard working with inner city schools or working with corporate people, you know, like as if there was something called corporate people, you know, these are all individuals, not a group, you know. And it's not hard at all. It's incredibly easy because... It's just what people are longing for, especially, I think, the connection in community, the sense of knowing themselves in their bodies in relationship to other. The body really holds the wisdom that we need to move forward. Is turning the wheel essential to including a group of people, or can people leave turning the wheel and take what they've learnt and practice it on their own? I would say absolutely. I think what was life-changing for me was, I think what was born six years ago, or a continuation, was the emotional, psychological autonomy. So everything that I did in turning the wheel brought me more alive within myself, so that I was responsible truly solely for myself and my own happiness, and that I had the tools on my person every moment of every day to create the life that I want to live. And that was something that I have gained, is that autonomy which I take out into the world. And I believe even if we're working with kids or elders or adults, even for an hour, that we transmit that possibility that we are all autonomous beings and there is a that connection between ourselves and each other. And that the more that we step into that, that knowing and that reality, the more that we believe embody it, bring it into our bodies and the cells of our being, that we can take it out into the world wherever we go. If it's at the dinner table or in the post office line or walking down the street or just bringing kindness, bringing a more gentler way of living on the earth, that it just ripples out. And so we, we, we see it and we believe it, you know. May I ask you the question that I asked Elena, and that is that what you've learned and the way that you've evolved with turning the wheel, if you could have had that experience when you were a child, how would it have moved you and changed your life now? Mm. Because it's a, and it's a good question because I'm asking it for those who are listening to the programs and will watch these films in the future to know what to expect or what the possibilities or opportunities are. Mm -hmm. For me, I think that, um, personally speaking, I think that that, that what, what was so life changing for me in 2004 was to come home to a place that, that my mother created in my childhood. It was a, a, a home full of art and chaos, for sure, with three older boys. And um, I had dance classes and piano lessons and was really welcome and invited to pursue the arts. And then her death 
when I was 10 years old and she was 49 really sort of cut that cord. You know, I lost that ally in terms of someone who believed in the arts and thought it was just as important as breathing and eating. Um, and so for me, had I think had I had turning the wheel in junior high or in high school, it would have kept that field alive and vibrant and vital. You know, just that it's just as important to make a collage or write poetry or learn how to move in your own body, you know, outside sort of schools of ballet or jazz or tap. What is the way that a body wants to move and what does that body want to say, you know, in terms of communicating where's, where there's flow or where there's a disturbance or just, you know, something stuck. So, and all of that information in turning the wheel when we're dancing together, and that's the beauty of it, and that's the gentleness of it, and that's the subtlety of it, is that our bodies are tremendous feedback systems. And it's actually, I think, in terms of the body's ability to, to receive feedback, to pace itself, to allow healing and transformation to occur at our own time in community, is the beauty of the turning the wheel model. It allows all parts to be present, and to be witnessed, and to see others in that own their, their own process. As we build up this picture for our listeners, I <laughs> look at it, and my goodness me, Elizabeth, I've seen you dance. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I can't dance like that. But, but you don't have to be a dancer for turning the wheel, do you? No. It's, it's, that's not a prerequisite to this. And I've watched a film, and the film is on our website, and people are doing the most amazing things to the point of just standing still and doing nothing and being motionless. You categorize it in some ways as the arts, but it's not the arts, is it? It's much more than that. You're talking about something that really does shift your consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now, does it shift consciousness through this method physically first to becoming a mentor? aberration or a a mental transition? How do you think that that works for people? It's a great question. I could um, so appreciate your questions and your thoughtfulness, David. I just want to thank you for that. Um, A really simple example is a form that is so simple it's just silly almost. You make a circle and you copy each other. And so each person moves and the rest of the group follows and then you hand it to the next person and that person moves and the rest of the group follows. And if you don't wish to lead, you say pass or you just pass it on so you don't have to. And so if you translate that into a circle of 40 kids in a school and here is a child who's never been seen by their family or by the school leading an entire circle of 40 people. So in their body, they're moving, and everybody in the circle is doing what they're doing. And every time they shift, the whole circle shifts. And so you have a total embodied experience of leadership, of the power of changing physically what's happening around you and being in charge of all 39 kids in the room for that moment. And I have to say, I spent that short time with you in the back garden and I could see the power of it. I sit across this table from you and I have interviewed the most amazing people in the world, like I had mentioned the, the eminent Professor Bill Tiller who talks about our body suit and our power and our strength that is untapped that we don't realize. Yes. And I think that that's what you're doing with turning the wheel in a physical way first in order to be able to shift the consciousness in the mind. 
taking it on from there, it's also in the way that you're doing it, bringing people together, bringing them at times apart, giving them or arming them with the tools for leadership, but at the same time also as being a follower if they want to be. Mm -hmm. But also it seems to me in the brief moment that I had with you in that garden was that actually it struck me that you were using the heart more than the mind in what you were doing. And of course, when you use the heart, your mind becomes clear. It mm. becomes very active. So is that a lot of, about what turning the wheel is about? Is it, is it activating the mind through all of these actions so that people can join, join spirit, join in, in heart? You know, in many ways, I think, David, I'm committed more to heart to heart. You know, it's like the mind needs to rest now. It's had its time in history in terms of all of the ways in which it takes us to conditioned learning. And I believe the mind will follow the heart easily and, and without much effort once the heart is fully flowing out into the energy of your life. But I, I've been so excited by exercises where we, and, and models where we bring people together communicating body to body, heart to heart. And just what happens there without language, you know, without even by dipping into the old forms of how we speak and how we relate. And I'm, I'm really interested in, in when, where this does come back and fold back into decision making. I would love to have some really powerful research done around because what we see is that when youth open up, for example, options with their bodies where they learn to improvise and respond in the moment and quickly make shifts and show up right as they are in that second and then the next second and then the next second is that they're opening up all these options for how they might live their lives and they find out that they can make choices and make them quick and move forward and it's like it opens the options in the body and then they truly do see more options in their lives and so that is somehow engaging the mind I think what you're talking about how has turning the wheel transformed and evolved over the 20 years this is an incredible journey for you where you probably started something like we all do as I did with my work and you have no idea where it's going to go and what the opportunities are what changes have you seen in that 20 years, you must have seen huge changes, not only to the world around you, not only to society and people, but also yourself in the way that you've evolved and this organization has evolved. How has it changed you and how those changes manifested themselves? Yeah, well, that would be about a week's long discussion at this point in my life. And I hear For about 15 seconds. Yeah, I hear the power of that question deep in my body. Um, from my own exploration, I think a starting point for me is learning more and more and more that what matters is to love myself and every nook and cranny and part of me and to become more and more and more whole as a human being so that I can love every nook and cranny of every other human being and that it doesn't begin with the outward breath but with the inward look to turn towards all in me that needs some light shined on it and love so that I can shine light unconditionally outside myself and to know that ultimately I'm really not in charge of any of it and that's the big change for me starting out thinking I really could 
fix people, change things, and then getting it that what I really could do more and more and more over the years is love people and know that they uh, will fix themselves, that they don't need rescuing, they need respecting, they need loving, they need holding, they need a, an opportunity to explore who they are in an unconditionally accepting environment, and then they decide where they're going to go, who they are, what needs loving, instead of me thinking I know what they need. But what I know is what I need, and and that as I shine that loving light out, they'll find what they need. It must be, I was going to ask you a question, but I'm going to actually direct that question to you, Elizabeth, having been there for six years. Same question, how have you evolved personally, and, and how has that impressed upon turning the wheel and affected changes and in in turn come back to you and and, and changed you as a human being mm. again it's like a week to talk about it but briefly um elaine and i were talking earlier for me it's been um what i began to look at about four years ago the quality of the relationship that i have with my own life and that was so informed by meeting Elena and beginning to to study with Turning the Wheel and then teach with Turning the Wheel. So the, the quality of that relationship has is so improved by just listening to impulses, responding to what wants to happen now, allowing all the parts of myself to be loved and loved by myself and not waiting for someone else to love them first. Um, so personally, just the, the quality of the relationship that I have to myself, I think it comes home in collaboration, the very collaboration that Elena and I have and our whole team of facilitators, national facilitators, um, in terms of where does collaboration live in our bodies and how do we really live a collaborative life with ourselves, within ourselves, and with each other. That has been deeply enriched and deeply enlivened as a reality, not just a concept. What has been very satisfying to me as well is to bring sort of the two parts of me, many parts, but two parts, and working in, in, the, in the art world and training as a dancer and loving movement, which has both intersected in, in turning the wheel. And when I came on six years ago, really getting the sense that this... <laughs> We need to launch this, you know, really launch this into the world so that millions of people across the earth can gather in circles dancing and loving and seeing, seeing each other as whole people and coming home to themselves as lovable and whole people. And so it's been, Elaine and I have just dreamed up this, this dream, which she began 20 years ago, to really take this out further into the world as a model as a tool, as a skill, so that people come home to themselves, as, as I said earlier, have all that they need on their person to make the shifts that they need to make in their lives as the world completely changes around them. When people arrive and they wear a demeanor, generally across the board, how do they leave? Well, we just did an event with a, a real mentor for us, Barb Groth in Los Angeles, who was one of those people who saw us. You know, that thing of being seen is so huge. And 
that's what we're about with the kids. You know, they just need to be seen. And we had all kinds of people coming into a party. And you know, the what you call demeanors, we call personas. And so people bring in their personas, their party personas, dressed all different ways, all different kinds of expectations of how they should act or who they're going to meet or what's going to happen. And by the end, all of them were dancing and playing together to this beautiful live music that Jesse Mono provided for us, this amazing musician who works with us. And just totally with people they'd never seen, dancing, making shapes, building sculptures, running through the space, laughing. You know, just it was such an exciting thing to me again to see that whoever shows up, they're ready. They want to come out of that stress, out of that story of what they ought to be, how they should be, what their conditioning is. And they just jumped in. And within a few moments, they were all laughing and playing together and, and definitely were new bodies leaving the space. And then, of course, the question is, how much of that can they sustain and take home with them from that experience? What is the typical conditioning that they have that they have to bear in life, do you think? It's a very generalized question, but it's worth <coughs> asking. Because well, you've used the word conditioning quite a few times. I can go to specificity with that for you. There's 3,000 loggable movements of a baby between the ages of zero and six months that are actually charted so that people have done that research. And by the time that child enters kindergarten, first grade, they're down to, at the most, 300 chartable movements. And so in the body, the conditioning has been measured and what it is is a contraction a a condensing of options a condensing to condensing of the number of physical movements that we have available to us in order to socialize and mainstream and contain the child in a system that needs unlike summer hill that needs a contained um quiet nervous system and so that's an example of conditioning that I'm talking about on a body level. And what part of what we're about is reopening up that movement vocabulary, adding in some of those 3,000 movements, which I believe add in options. And you travel all over the country mm -hmm. with this. America is a big country, and I can travel across America, and, and the cultures do change. People Very do much. change. People's demeanors change based upon uh, the fragilities of, of economy, microeconomy, whatever it is. How do people react, say, between this and California and somebody on the East Coast? It's really different. It's been really interesting to see how that there are other... That that's part of what I love about the work is that... what. You show up and you reflect who's in the room. You don't bring a formula and lay it on people, you know, but it's like, where are the people there and what is the door in for them, finding that door for them? And for the most part, it's not different at all. On the one hand, it's really different. On the other hand, it isn't at all, you know, so how people enter and the sort of quietness with which they might come in. We did a project in Halifax, which is even more, even, it was even more, um, condensed physically the story of the people there. But we find that pretty much universally, once you get people going, they'll play. And they may not play as wildly in Wilmington, North Carolina, as they do in 
Los Angeles, California, but in Wilmington, they bring spirit really fast. They go deep really fast. They connect in these very, very amazingly soft, gentle, you know, um, eye-to-eye places where in Los Angeles we may find people moving through and around and up and over each other in, in this sort of joyful place and never actually making eye contact until that suggestion is made. So, and that's a generalization from both cities because both cities contain all kinds of people and different issues. You know, Los Angeles has the urban, big urban issue and Wilmington has the huge racial issue and Missoula has the really serious drug and abuse problems that come in that we're, so each place we go, there's different challenges that the cities are asking us to help with. I'm sure that this is going to be an incredible paradigm movement for people of all ages, but more than anybody for children, most probably from the age of zero to ten. How will turning the wheel expand in the future? How will you get this message out there to entice not only individuals but also groups and even corporations to get involved? Well, one of the things that we've launched is our caravan across the country, whereas we want to land in nine cities in the next um, 14 months now, and two of them are scheduled, and a training, what we call our heart dance training, to all the caretakers that work with children in that city, whether it's after school, parents, teachers, anybody who's interfacing with children, bring them this new model, which is not new at all, of course, but our model of how to interact with children that makes it more easeful, more fun, more effective, more successful, and then take that and any of those people who want to come with us into the schools and do the residency in the week or weeks that follow in the schools so that we can train in the model, but then take it hands-on right to the kids and let them see how it does work, how it does change what's happening for the kids. So we're excited about, about you know, scheduling those nine cities and landing there and in the process of building the funds and the infrastructure to make that happen uh, through turning the wheel. As you visit all these cities and all of these people and you meet uh, people of all ages and you meet children, and particularly children, how does your mind work? We all have certain traumas in our life, and do you immediately recognize when a child walks in from any of these locations what they're about, where their problems lie, how you can help them, and how they are almost a mirror to what you have experienced in your life? Well, there are times when that happens, but my training is that when that happens is to loop back into myself and tune into the fact that it's my child that's speaking now and then loop back out and see that child free of all my projections and allow them to enter the room as themselves and sort of know that whatever I might think I know about them, I don't really know and allow them to be again respected, not rescued, to see them as people who know even at a very young age, children who know their own journey, their own soul's journey, their own path. They just need somebody to open up a space for them to begin to manifest that soul's journey. Um, I, I think also, David, this is a very important question in the sense that because of my history of violence, 
I am not very frightened by or impressed with a lot of my kids' stories that come in, especially my middle and high schoolers. It's like, hey, I've been there. I've seen that. That's just the story. We don't have to change the past to create a new future. Let's start right here. Let's go forward from right here. It doesn't... It doesn't shock me like it does some people because I lived it and left it behind and I know they can too. And, um, this, one of my, one of my, a great recent mentor in my life, Katie Hendricks, coined that phrase for me. You don't have to change the past to create a new, to create a new future. And it became really important for me, um, in working with these kids to also free them of that, that they don't have to change their past. They can start right now. We can go forward from right here and make a brand new story, you know, together and together as co-creators, not as me knowing what they need and fixing them, but as us co-creating together to see what, what's happened now, what shows up and work with what shows up. And I, I asked that question, Elena, because you are talking about the caravan and you're talking about crossing the country. The world has been around a, a billion times and we all share the same problems from generation to generation. But on top of that, the only reason that I bring it up is because when you do travel around the country, you are going to see cultural changes. You're going to see economic factors come in. And it's going to make you armed with great wisdom, I would imagine, in what you do, the way in which you can handle these kids, the way that you can nurture them and love them. That must be a very profound responsibility, feeling for you. Elizabeth, how do you feel about that, about that responsibility and about that incredible opportunity that you have to change people's lives? Because you certainly do. Mm. I guess first and foremost is just the honor and the privilege in every moment to deepen in self-love, you know, and love for self and love for other, and to continually touch the heart of the human experience, you know, and all of its, all of its wild and woolly and incredible ways in which it shows up in the room from children to elders. It's, uh, it's profound. It's profound. And also to be held in, you know, the container which Elena and Turning the Wheel has created, but also with our, especially with our team of um, national facilitators that come from Cedar Rapids and Wilmington, North Carolina, and Missoula, Montana, and um, Boulder, Colorado. I have to believe that you are very unique. And you are participating in the Global Summit, and I'm sure you'll be participating in many other events. I had this great honor yesterday, as I mentioned to you earlier, of talking to Barbara Marks Hubbard, who talks about community and this greater sense of consciousness, people coming together, people not being insulated, um, believing in neighborhoods, believing in that community, whether it's permaculture or in, in any part of life. I've definitely concluded with this, that you are incredibly unique in what you are doing and that you will be very impactful at events like Global Summit because you're going to take an intellectually based event for the most part. Although people are talking about the humanities and science and technology, it, it tends to be, as you were talking about earlier, more mind than it is heart. And you're walking into these events talking about heart and body 
and that has to be very, very unique. How do you see yourself participating in a summit, in a seminar or a workshop, where you have these round tables or experts on one side of the table and audiences on the other? How will you change that paradigm? How will you become a part of that circle in community that becomes a great attribute to that makeup that they're creating? I think alongside providing youth programming, um, and also Elaine and I are co-chairs of, of the Global Summit for Youth Programming, is to provide in, uh, in the, the main programming a, a kinesthetic experience that parallels sort of the, the intellectual or cognitive information such that people can not only take it in intellectually but have an experience by moving them through large group forms to smaller group forms to interacting body to body to ground what they're learning, what they're taking in, and what they're most importantly integrating about their own world and how that interface with the larger global world about making change, about participating in that change, about what does it mean again to collaborate on a body level. So we'll be bringing movement and feeding it in in many ways throughout the Global Summit. In the final minutes of the program, looking back, and I'll ask both of you this question. And I'll start with you, Elena. What are the most profound emotional moments that you've had in recent times with children where you've seen such a remarkable change? I was just thinking about that. As we were sitting here, um, a young a young boy named Jose who had not spoken yet in the school and literally um, a non-English speaking child who just simply wouldn't talk and had barely shown up at all and was just kind of hiding out in an environment that was completely foreign and confusing to him, who joined our after-school program and ended up performing for the whole school and singing and dancing and teaching us words to say and just totally showed up through both the opportunity of this incredibly loving container that was being held by one of our, Tanya Asmus, one of our amazing facilitators with youth, but and also through the sense that it was creative expression. It was He was not being asked to show up in a system that he didn't know how to interface with. He knew about dancing and singing from his own culture. He knew how to communicate through his grandmother and his family history, through singing and dancing and playing. And when that showed up, he knew how to show up. And that was his entrance into trying to be a part of this culture in this country that was so frightening and so foreign to him. What about you, Elizabeth? I immediately think of um, a teenager that we worked with in Wilmington, North Carolina a number of years ago, Cody, and it was a juvenile detention center. Though there were kids that sort of hung out on the edge and we just let them hang out on the edge, there were some brave souls that came and danced with us that day, and Cody was one of them. And you could see that he saw something that he both was responding to from a place before, you know. He was participating, and he kept coming out more and more. And part of the privilege I was talking about earlier is the bravery and the courage of showing up authentically, showing up with full authenticity. And um, afterwards, he hung around and talked with our musician, and 
was asked, was, we were given feedback later on that one of his teachers said um, had noticed such a remarkable shift in how he was the rest of that day. And the, the teacher asked, was that something to do with uh, the dance group that came in? And he said, yes, it did. And it just, just at that moment with us, that hour with us, shifted something, reminded him of what came forward is his Native American history and that the, 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 the experience of dancing with his elders and dancing with his, with his family was, a, was sort of a thread of health for him. It was a part of his past that was something that held a, a source of well-being. And he responded to it and, and joined us. How does that make you feel when you go home? Really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the bottom line, that to get to do this work and to have people who are willing to fund us financially, let us into their schools, make it possible for us to be able to do this work, it's such a pleasure, it's such a privilege to do work where you have impact and and that's so much fun with all these people all over the country. It's, it really feels like a really deep blessing. Well, as I've said to you before, I look back at my childhood and I've had a very blessed life. I truly believe that between the ages of zero to ten, the sort of work that you you do can have such a huge impact, as much as it can on adults, but I think of, for children it can be greater than even you can imagine, and uh, I applaud you for that. It's unusual that we do this, but I'd like you to let our audience know, our listeners know, where they can gain information on Turning the Wheel? Well, turningthewheel.org, www.turningthewheel.org is a great, a great place, our website. And I think everything is there in terms of contact information. And, and also each um, city, uh, there's Turning the Wheel on Facebook. You can find out what's happening in each city. So we have Turning the Wheel National, which is Turning the Wheel Productions, Turning the Wheel Los Angeles, Turning the Wheel Missoula, and Turning the Wheel Wilmington, which has lots of photographs and videos and events also, and a forum to connect in. And the future? Where are you going, and what are the immediate plans? Well, next up for me is Cedar Rapids. So we're going to be working with a wonderful group of teachers and youth at a, a Metro High School and running a, and t- doing a heart dance training there in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to be back in Cedar Rapids with the beautiful people there and Stephanie Merrick, who runs our program there. And Elizabeth, for yourself? Um, I'll be joining in Cedar Rapids. Um, we'll be at the Global Summit on November 8th, 9th, and 10th, um, led by the incredible Melanie St. James, and working on putting together the caravan. In closing, you both must feel extremely blessed with what you do. Do you sometimes look at what you do with turning the wheel and think, wow, this is extraordinary? In my good moments, I certainly do. (laughs) Do you have bad moments? Absolutely. (laughs) Elizabeth Yoken and Elena Shaw, founder of Turning the Wheel, it's been a real privilege today to share this first program with you. And for our listeners, we're going to be filming Turning the Wheel as well, so stay tuned. And for our listeners, you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening.
David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.